The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. And for this week's episode, you know, we had to talk about last week's NFL draft. There was, uh, you know, this draft time is always exciting. So much enthusiasm that goes in with, you know, fans wondering where these players are going to go, who's their team going to draft, who's that next big star. Uh, you know, the NFL draft is always super fun. And so I think this year was was no different. I'll tell you, you know, because with the kind of the way this draft started out, was, you know, it wasn't really any major surprises. You know, Burrow going number one to the Bengals. You have Chase Young going second to the Redskins. Jeff Okuda going number three to the Lions. But the part that kind of like, I don't know, just rubbed me the wrong way was, you know, I've seen several internet posts of Ohio State fans claiming that the Buckeyes go one, two, three. Uh, saying that Joe Burrow, who played at Ohio State, you know, they're they're basically saying here the Buckeyes had the first three picks in the draft, and it's like, okay, Joe Burrow didn't become Joe Burrow until he got to LSU. Like the first round, the first pick of the draft was Joe Burrow, LSU Tiger Joe Burrow, because you know he and uh, Joe Brady connected. You know, he had one of the best seasons we've ever seen in college football history, throwing 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. And here it is, Ohio State fans, when I know there's a lot of people who don't care too much for Ohio State to begin with, claiming that they have the, the, their picks go one, two, three. And it's like, okay, that's not the same Joe, Joe Burrow that you had that was in Columbus at the time. So you can't really claim him as one of your guys when he has the kind of success that he had. It wasn't because of the Ohio State program. So, you know, I mean, this just doesn't, I don't know, it's one of those deals like Ohio State refer to themselves as the Ohio State when there's no other Ohio State in college football. There's no need to place the emphasis on on the word the when there's not another Ohio State football program uh, in college football. So I just feel like that just added fuel to the fire when they – and I, some of those posts that I read from fans trying to claim that they went one, two, three in the draft. I mean, it's kind of like if you look at Brett Favre, who uh, started out with the Falcons, what the Falcons claimed him, and it's like this Hall of Famer Brett Favre former Atlanta Falcon when he didn't become far until he got to Green Bay connected with Mike Holmgren. Same thing like Steve Young going from the Buccaneers to the 49ers. He wasn't Steve Young until he got to San Francisco with Bill Walsh. Another example is with the Chargers. When Drew Brees was there, he wasn't working out. So they took Phillip Rivers in the draft. They let Drew Brees walk in his contract year. Drew Brees becomes this Hall of Fame quarterback who's already set NFL all-time records when he got to New Orleans and linked up with Sean Payton. So uh, you can't take credit for something that you didn't, that you're not responsible for. And I think that's exactly what some of these fans uh, and their posts that I've seen with them claiming that they went one, two, three with Ohio State Buckeyes when I'll give you young and I'll give you Okuda, but I can't give you the credit for Joe Burrow and the type of player that he's become. Now, 
when we talk about the NFL draft, you're always thinking about steals. Like who had, you know, who kind of came away with a steal in the draft or in a particular round. So staying in that first round where, you know, I'm glad Tua went to Miami. I felt like they would have dropped the ball if they went with Justin Herbert. I'm not a huge fan of his. And Tua is, you know, highly decorated. I think if he can stay healthy, as everybody knows, I think he's going to have a phenomenal career. And, you know, even if he doesn't work out, I just felt it was – too hard for the Dolphins to pass up by taking another player. But going into the steal of that first round, I tried to limit it to one player, but I couldn't. So I was like, okay, I'll just do one on each side of the ball because there's there's two players I really felt like uh, that these two franchises got that just fell into their laps and there's no way they could pass these two players up. So first was the Cowboys getting C.D. Lamb. I mean, there's no way I expected Lamb to go uh, 17th. There's no way I thought he would fall that far and not just fall 17th to the Cowboys, but the fact that he was the third receiver taken in the draft when a lot of people say he's the best receiver in the draft. Uh, we all know Henry Ruggs went 12th to the Oakland uh, to the Las Vegas Raiders. You had Jerry Judy go 15th to the Denver Broncos. And then... There it is, C.D. Lamb sitting right there at 17 for the Cowboys. And although the Cowboys have plenty of holes on that defensive side of the ball, uh, areas they need to address, there's no way they could let a talent like C.D. Lamb go. There's no way they could, you know, pass him up, which I don't blame them. You already have, you know, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper. And now you add a guy like C.D. Lamb, to that offense, I think the NFC East is in trouble when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys because that team, they're going to put up points and points and points. Um, you know, with Mike McCarthy being the new head coach, I mean, they just gave him a new toy to play with. So uh, I think that was definitely one of the steals of that first round, as many people um, have already said as well. So that's on the offensive side of the ball. Now, defensively, Patrick Queen going 28 to the Baltimore Ravens. I didn't think he would fall that far. I thought he would be a top 20 pick, maybe go outside the, the 20s, maybe 21, 22. We know uh, linebacker uh, Chase on from LSU went to the Jaguars. He had Kenneth Murray go to the Chargers. Uh, Jordan Brooks went one pick before Patrick Queen to the Seahawks. These were all linebackers that were taken before Queen, and I didn't, I didn't think he would fall that far. And of course, he goes to the one team that I can't stand, the Baltimore Ravens. You know, being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, having a guy like Patrick Queen go to Baltimore, it's a Baltimore pick. I mean, they just knock, they just nail the draft every year. It's like no matter what, they're going to have a great draft. They just or have a great organization. They just do it well. Uh, my guy, Chris Liuzzi, who's been on the show several times, he's an NFL guru. He pointed out the fact that, you know, the Ravens drafted Ray Lewis. They drafted Terrell Suggs. Uh, they drafted CJ Mosley. And here it is, Patrick Queen. And I don't know if Patrick Queen will be on that level, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did because this is a guy who plays with extreme, uh, extreme aggression, very instinctive, very good awareness, super fast, uh, very good coverage linebacker. Baltimore does it again. And so I got to I got to see this guy twice a year as Baltimore strikes goal. A guy falls into their lap that I didn't think would be an option for them at 28. And, you know, they knocked it out the park. Now, those are the two steals of the first round. Um, you know, 
I feel like the Cowboys and the Ravens just only gotten better with that one pick along. So, uh, like I said, with those two players and the talent that they possess, there's no way they could bypass or probably didn't even expect these those guys to be available when they got on the clock. But those two steals of the first round really stood out to me on that opening day on Thursday night. Now, when we talk about the draft, we also think about the surprises. That's what really makes the draft fun and exciting are the players that you didn't expect to go later than where they are drafted. I didn't expect this player to go in the fourth round or I didn't expect this player to go to this team. It didn't make much sense. Uh, Some of the surprises in this year's draft, I will get to that shortly, but trying to give you a quick recap of some of the surprise picks that's taken place in the NFL draft history. I mean, we think about 2006 when Mario Williams went number one to the Houston Texans over Reggie Bush and Vince Young. Uh, that really caught everybody by surprise because Reggie Bush is this kind of one in a generational type player. Uh, and he, he, they didn't take him, you know, they thought, okay, it's either Reggie Bush or Vince Young. You get your quarterback who's from the Texas area who played at Texas, or you go Reggie Bush, who's just this electric, human highlight reel every time he touches the ball. But no, they'd say no to Bush. They say no to Vince Young. They go with Mario Williams, defensive end at North Carolina State. And, you know, when it was all said and done, Mario Williams actually had the better career than than Bush and Young. So, uh, you know, the Texans, even though they caught everybody by surprise in that 06 draft, I think it they, they kind of you know, they made the right decision when it came to, you know, who would they pick between those three players. So uh, Mario Williams was the first one that I would say as far as just a recap of what took place in recent years. 2010, this right here hit me hit me hard personally. It was Brandon Graham going to the Philadelphia Eagles because, you know, I was a huge Donovan McNabb fan. I followed Philadelphia heavily during those years. This is 2010. So this is the first year that the NFL draft was moved to primetime. You know, originally it was always Saturday and Sundays. And then 2010 was the first year where they moved it to you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, where the first round was only on Thursday. And I was at Auburn at the time. I remember going to class, you know, during that day and uh, getting home that night. And, you know, there's a lot of naps when you're in school. You're taking classes and you're exhausted at 8 a.m. classes. But I took a nap and I ended up, you know, kind of missing the first few picks. And I woke up just in time to see that Philadelphia were moving up. They moved up from 24 to 13. And... At the time, we had a big hole at safety because we let go of Brian Dawkins like the year before. So, you know, he was a heart and soul of that defense, just a phenomenal leader. So we need a safety. Okay, Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is the guy, like, you know, he went to Texas, had eight interceptions his redshirt sophomore year. If we're moving up from 24 to 13, it has to be Earl Thomas. He's still on the board. Everybody knew Earl Thomas was the pick. So when the commissioner comes to the podium and he says, with the 2010, in the 2010 NFL draft, in the 13th pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Brandon Graham, defensive end out of Michigan, my heart dropped. I was so mad. I was just, it still bothers me to this day. And I know Brandon Graham is a solid player now. He's solid. He's decent. But he's not... Earl Thomas, a guy who's been named to the All-Pro team three times, a seven-time Pro Bowler, 
a position of need. It was safety. You need a safety. Go get the best safety in the draft. Go get Earl Thomas. But you go get another defensive lineman. And like I said, still to this day, I remember the the pain and the anguish that, like, you got to be kidding me, Andy Reid. Like, I know people love Andy Reid, and he's a good coach and just won Super Bowl, but he made so many of these type of decisions that I see him differently. Like, I have respect for him, but when you have these kind of uh, kind of positions where, okay, you have a position of need, a safety, go get the best safety. Would you go get another defensive lineman that you didn't need? Like I said, it's still, you know, a tough pill to swallow. So that was 2010 with Brandon Graham going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Fast forward a few years, 2013, E.J. Manuel going in the first round, 16th pick to the Buffalo Bills. This is a quarterback out of Florida State who I didn't expect to get drafted at all. Like, I didn't think he would. I think his talents transitioned well to the NFL. And so here he is as a first-round pick to the Buffalo Bills, and who knows where E.J. Manuel is today. Like, that just made no sense that they took him in the first round to begin with. Like I said, I didn't think he would be selected at all in that 2013 NFL draft. Fast forward a few years in 2016, uh, another surprise pick was Roberto Aguayo, who went in the second round, another former uh, Florida State player, a kicker to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the second round when you all know you can get kickers late in the draft, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Some you know good kickers go undrafted. And so the fact that they took a kicker in the second round blew my mind along with so many other people. And, you know, Roberto Aguayo is no longer in the league as well. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't the first time that a team took a, cor- uh, a kicker that early in the draft. Mike Nugent went in the second round in 2005 to the Jets at Ohio State. Yes, Sebastian Janikowski in 2000, who went in the first round, 17th pick to the Raiders. Like, certain positions you just don't draft early because you can get good guys at that position later in the draft. So that's just kind of a quick reminder of some of the surprise drafts picks that we've seen in recent years. Now, talking about surprise picks in this year's draft, the 2020 NFL draft, the worst surprise pick, in my opinion, was Jordan Love going to the Green Bay Packers. I know a lot of people have echoed these same uh, statements, and so I feel the same way. Like, I was blown away when I saw that the Packers select Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah State, with their first-round pick. Uh, You know, this is – a team, a Green Bay Packer team that was one way, one win away from the Super Bowl. They lost to the Niners. That game was ugly for sure, but you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. You know, this is a guy who's only 36 years old. And I say he's only 36 because we see guys like Phillip Rivers, who's 38, and, you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees are still playing into their 40s. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, one of the best to ever play the game. And instead of you getting him help you go draft a quarterback with your first pick in the first round and you know it reminded me of Kevin Cobb you know speaking of you know like I said growing up you know liking the Eagles because of McNabb uh Donovan McNabb's a quarterback the Eagles need help on the perimeter they need help with the skill position players this is before LaShawn McCoy before Jeremy Macklin before Deshaun Jackson and so Andy Reid your guy again in the first round, instead of taking a positional player that's going to help your offense immediately, 
he trades back into the second round and takes Kevin Cobb. You take a quarterback at your first pick when you need help offensively, when you have a franchise quarterback in place. Kevin Cobb didn't stand stay in the low stay in the league uh you know much after that uh so i wasn't surprised and i think that only set the eagles back when you know the eagles did take kevin cobb with that pick but this jordan love selection reminds me of that not saying that jordan love will be kevin cobb but just the fact that you have a quarterback like aaron Rodgers who needs immediate help i mean if you look at their roster and you look at their stats from last year's season Devontae adams led the team with 83 receptions the next closest receiver was Alan Lazard at 35. So this is a team that needed, that clearly needed help at receiver. Everybody knew they needed help at receiver. Uh, my guy Chris, again, like, like I said, he always points out nuggets and tells me things. I'm like, man, like, man, I had no clue. He mentioned, you know, Green Bay didn't even take a single receiver in the entire draft. Not only did they not take one in the first round and taking Jordan Love, they still didn't even draft a receiver during the entire draft. There's 255 selections, and not one of them was a receiver that went to Green Bay. Uh, so, yeah, I, I bet Aaron Rodgers, I know he's probably super uh, just just bothered about getting a quarterback in the first round when we're one game away from the Super Bowl. Go get some help. They've done so with you know addressing the defensive side of the ball in recent years with guys like Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary, Montrevious Adams, Jair Alexander, the cornerback out of Louisville, uh, you know Kevin King, Darnell Savage. Like they they've addressed the defensive side of the ball heavily in the recent years when it comes to the draft, and I felt like this was an opportunity for them to go get a skill position player that's going to help. You know, Aaron Rodgers immediately. Now, they did take a running back, A.J. Dillon, in the second round. Uh, but still, like, I think there was a receiver that they could have taken, even in the second round. If, or, like I said, in the first round, go ahead and get who was ever best available at that position to help your quarterback out. I mean, like I said, Aaron Rodgers has four years left on his contract. For those of you who don't know the terms of, uh, of length of terms in a contract for a first round pick is four years. So it's a possibility that this guy Jordan Love could sit all four years, the remaining four years of Aaron Rodgers' uh, contract. And so when you have a guy who's at the tail end of his career, you and as great as Aaron Rodgers is, you want to, you know, take full advantage of the years he has left. And I feel like they dropped the ball by getting a guy like Jordan Love. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, speaking of with the draft, Taking, Aaron, taking Jordan Love was the first skill position player that they've taken in the first round since they took Aaron Rodgers in 2005. So every year in the first round since they took Aaron Rodgers, it's never been a running back or a receiver or a tight end or anything like that. So, you know, I know people compare Jordan Love and say that and he reminds them of Patrick Mahomes, and that could be the case. I mean, he, there may be similarities, but I'll tell you, with Patrick Mahomes, you know, I don't think even the Chiefs knew he would be this good. I mean, of course, no NFL MVP, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP. But they were took him to try to replace Al Smith, who was a very solid quarterback. Al Smith was solid in San Francisco. San Francisco won an upgrade. They got Colin Kaepernick, who was much better than he was. Then same thing in Kansas City. Smith goes there. The Chiefs trade up, get Mahomes. 
and they upgrade over a guy like Al Smith, which isn't saying too much. Like I said, he's solid, but he's not great. Now, when you have Aaron Rodgers, who's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you take a quarterback in the first round in Jordan Love, hoping that he has that talent and potential of a Patrick Mahomes, uh, it's it's more likely that it probably won't play out that way. So this pick could could really, you know, down the road be I don't know just could set the Patrick the the Green Bay Packers back for years and years to come because they had an opportunity to go get their guy Aaron Rodgers' immediate help. Like I said, a team that was one win away from the Super Bowl. Now, uh, most as far as teams go. Uh, when I look at the most disappointing team in the draft, I think of like the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this is a team who ended up with only four selections in the draft. And they didn't go into the draft with only four selections. That's the way it played out because they ended up trading four picks to the Vikings to move up 25 slots to take a tight end and Adam Trotman from Dayton. So they moved up 25 slots by trading the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks to the Vikings to get this tight end and they only ended up with four selections for the entire draft. Now that final pick of their draft in the seventh round probably won't even make the team because he was a quarterback at Mississippi state and Tommy Stevens. So this is a guy who probably won't even make the team. So, and you probably look at it that the saints only came away with three selections for the entire draft. Um, And I know they made some, you know, some good moves in the offseason with signing a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, bringing Malcolm um, Jenkins back in the fold on the defensive side of the ball. But the draft is where you build teams. That's where you build depth. That's where you you build your roster from the inside out, homegrown talent that you scouted and drafted. And I know people get caught up in the first round, but I'm more interested in what happens in the second, third, fourth rounds. And because I feel that there's so much value there with guys who may be first round talent, but they had an injured year or two, or, you know, due to a coaching change, there was a lack in production or a drop off in production. So the fact that they traded four picks to move up 25 spots to take a tight end, I think that, uh, you end up with three, with three spots, like I said, because Tommy Stevens probably won't make the team. That was an opportunity to be and so to come out with three selections. New Orleans did it again. It took me back to 1999 when Mike Dick was the head coach. They tr- traded their entire draft for a running back, Ricky Williams. And we all know how great Ricky Williams was, was, uh, you know, with, in Texas as Heisman Trophy winner and everything he did there in Austin. But there's no way. I don't care who the one player is. I'm not trading eight picks to get one player. So in that 99 draft, the Saints moved up from 12 to 5. They traded that 12th pick. They traded a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder, a sixth rounder, and a seventh rounder in that 99 draft, along with the first rounder in the following draft and a third rounder in the following draft. So they moved up seven spots, trading eight picks to get one player. And so Ricky Williams, you know, had his moments, ups and downs in the NFL. During his New Orleans tenure, the Saints went 20 and 28. So, you know, things like that, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, you can't put in all your chips for one player. You just can't do it. Like, you're, there's so many players and so many pieces that goes to having a successful NFL team that one player can't and will not be responsible um, for, you know, that team's success. It's really a, a collaborative effort. So the Saints doing what they did by only having three selections, it reminded me of that 99 draft when, like I said, Mike Dicka, 
traded in the house to get a guy like Ricky Williams and you know that was the that was the end before it even got started when you know a franchise makes that kind of move so like I said worst surprise pick Jordan Love to the Packers most disappointing team in the draft were uh, was the New Orleans Saints. When we come back, I'm going to talk about my best surprise pick and some teams who I felt like knocked it out of the park when it came to last week's NFL draft. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Hey, this is Teresa Reynolds for the Wicksburg Panthers. You're listening to The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley on the Joy FM Sports. Welcome back to the sweet spot as we continue talk of the NFL draft, the 2020 NFL draft that took place last week. We know uh, when it comes to the draft, there's always surprises, as I mentioned. I gave you my worst surprise pick. It's time for my best surprise pick. As a player that I didn't expect him to go to this franchise, which is why it's called a surprise, Jalen Hurts to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, And I feel like it was a great surprise pick just because – the Eagles, you know, they have Carson Wentz at quarterback, uh, and he's, you know, been he's played well since he's, you know, he was the second pick of the draft a couple of years ago in 2016. But, you know, he hasn't been healthy. Um, three of the four years he's been the quarterback, they've made the playoffs, but he's only played two possessions of those three years of them making the playoffs. And that came last year in the wild card game against the Seahawks where they lost 17 to nine. He had a head injury in the first quarter. Josh McCown relieved him. They lost to the Seahawks anyway. So the fact that they took a guy like Jalen Hurts made perfect sense. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know that he was uh, a player they were targeting on their draft board, but it just makes perfect sense knowing that Carson Wentz, who has been injured since he's entered the league, they need a reliable option at quarterback. And, I mean, last year, like I mentioned, Josh McCown was their guy. This is the same Josh McCown who coached high school on Friday nights. So he's coaching high school on Friday nights, and then he's your backup quarterback on Sunday. They fully devoted, who's more talented, uh, who can grow within the system and within the franchise because McCown is not going to win you games. Now, they had Nick Foles. You know, Nick Foles was the guy who led them to a Super Bowl win over the Patriots uh, when Carson Wentz tore his ACL that year. The next season, uh, Wentz gets hurt again. Foles is the guy that leads them to the playoffs. They lose in the playoffs. Then Nick Foles parlayed that contract. He parlayed that that success, I should say, into a four-year, $88 million contract with the Jacksonville Jags. So the fact that the Eagles went and got a, a guy like Jalen Hurts it just made perfect sense knowing that Carson Wentz has, you know, durability concerns. I mean, Josh McCown was your backup. You know, you see what Nick Foles has done given the opportunity to play. So, you know, we're not wishing anything upon uh, Carson Wentz to get hurt. But this is good insurance to have a guy like Jalen Hurts who's a gamer, you know, and, and, and he fits what the Eagles want to do. The Eagles – you know, have had Carson Wentz, or they have Carson Wentz. They had Nick Foles. This is and now they have Jalen Hurts. These are guys who are able to make plays with their arm as and their feet as well. Like uh, 
So there, I think he fits with what they want to do. There's no pressure in Jalen having to come in to be the guy. He can actually come in and learn a playbook, learn what it's like to be a professional. And you know, he's a class act, as we know. We we've seen what he's what he went through with going to Alabama, becoming the starter as a freshman, losing to Clemson in the national championship, lead Alabama to the national uh, championship game again the following year, only to be benched at halftime for Tua Tagovailoa, who uh, starts this amazing comeback victory, and then. When everybody thought Jalen Hurts would transfer, he comes back for his junior season, knowing that he's not going to start pretty much. Uh, so he's benched, sits behind Tua. He gets the opportunity to redeem himself against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Uh, and then you know he transferred to Oklahoma, becomes a Heisman Trophy finalist. And here he is, a second-round pick, the number 53 pick in the draft to the Philadelphia Eagles. Like I said, not many people expected the Eagles to take Hurts uh, or to take a quarterback probably as high as they did, period. But to me, it just made perfect sense. This is a, a no-brainer for what Philadelphia wants to do, what they have in place. They have to protect themselves, barring any injury to Carson Wentz. Now, as far as teams go who's had – who had success in this past year's draft, or this year's draft, I should say. I, you know, I try to limit it to one or two, but it was it's not even fair. It's 32 teams. I can't just limit it to one or two. There's quite a few teams who came out and just, you know, did a, a phenomenal job in this year's draft. So starting off was the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Denver Broncos, to me, uh, they nailed it with getting a guy like Jerry Judy in the first round at receiver. They got K.J. Hamler. Uh, receiver in the second round from Penn State. Like, Jerry Judy is one who people may say is the best receiver in the draft. K.J. Hamler is my favorite receiver in the draft. You know, I was hoping that he'll follow a, a few more slots to the Steelers, uh, but he, you know, was off the board shortly before we were on the clock. Uh, he's an electric playmaker. When you get the ball in his hands, you know, I was able to watch a few Penn State games over the last couple of years, and, you can't help but notice his skills and just how he just makes plays left and right. So the fact that the Broncos got Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, then they got the defensive end slash defensive tackle, McTelvin Ajin, uh from Arkansas. He was a guy that I had on my board, too, if I was a general manager. I was hoping he would fall to my Steelers. He went number nine, number 95 to Denver. My Steelers didn't pick until 102, and you know, I was hoping that he would be there because we need help at defensive tackle. And so, uh, again, went to the Denver Broncos. I feel like that's just a great fit for him with what they already have there with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Uh, another pick that they had that I liked a lot was, you know, getting Tyree Cleveland out of Florida, another receiver. And, you know, you could say, man, like they took a lot of receivers, but this Denver Broncos team needed help in the passing game because they were the fifth worst passing offense in the NFL last year. So to have their guy Drew Locke at quarterback, they've signed Melvin Gordon. Uh, you know, they're doing what they can to help that offense. And, you know, Drew Locke finished last year's uh, season with four and one record. Now they've gone out there to get him receiving help in Judy Hamler and Cleveland. Denver's on the right track. I like what they're doing. I still want them to go out there and get Cam Newton, uh, but I don't. I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know where that guy's going to be playing next year. But Denver came away with a very impressive draft in uh, last week when it came to the 2020 NFL draft. Now another team I was in, came away impressed with was the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Indianapolis, you know, they didn't have a first round pick because they traded that 13th pick to the San Francisco 49ers to acquire defensive tackle DeForest Buckner 
and you know you have to include draft trades when they are acquiring a a current player you have to include that in the draft grade because you use that draft capital to get a proven player so they locked up all pro to Forrest Buckner uh, for several years so he's not going anywhere uh, it's a team friendly contract as it's front loaded in the deal and so they needed defensive uh, line help they took that 13th pick sent it to San Francisco and now they have DeForest Buckner. Then in the second round, they had two with 34 and 44 uh, number selections. At 34, they took Michael Pittman Jr., receiver out of USC, who's, you know, a stud. Like, he's a baller. He's a playmaker. Like, receiver's always a uh, – it's always one of the deepest positions when it comes to the NFL draft. So they took Michael Pittman Jr., a position of need, when they have T.Y. Hilton. They have uh, Paris Campbell at Ohio State, Speedster. Can he stay healthy? We shall see. But this was – it makes perfect sense. You got uh, target – at a position of need and Michael Pittman Jr. Then with that 44th pick, they moved up three slots at 41 to take running back Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. And Jonathan Taylor is like the definition of production. I mean, this is a guy who he's the only player in FBS history to have over 6,000 rushing yards in three seasons. And so, you know, he went to Wisconsin a a school where they're known for running backs. I mean, they've had, you know, Monte Ball and Ron Dane and James White, Corey Clement, Melvin Gordon, who I previously mentioned with the Broncos. Here it is, Jonathan Taylor, who has had tremendous success ever since he's stepped, uh, you know, stepped on the campus for the University of Wisconsin. And so, you know, I think the Celts getting him a guy at running back to go with Mac, to go with Naheem Hines, a player who's a home run threat every time he touches the ball. Jonathan Taylor, they they knocked it out the park with this guy. So I was really impressed with what the Colts did. They also added Julian Blackman, safety out of Utah. Uh, solid tackler, very smart, good awareness, uh, solid range. You know, he's actually a former cornerback. And, you know, he tore his ACL in this past this past December. So I think a lot of people were surprised they took him and he went early as he did. But you watch the guy's tape, you know, he can play ball and he's going to make some plays for the Indianapolis Colts defense. And then, of course, Jacob Easton going in the fourth round, uh, former Georgia quarterback, went to Washington, played there. Super strong arm, big kid. Um, I think it was just it was a perfect it was a perfect value pick. You know, of course, the Colts wanted to take a quarterback, having Phillip Rivers, who's 38. He's on a one-year on a one-year deal. They get a guy like Jacob Eason, who I'm pretty sure that most of the people thought he would go in the second, maybe third at the latest. He goes all the way to the fourth because there's just not many teams who needed quarterbacks at this point in the draft. With a lot of teams filling those that needed quarterback in the offseason free agency. So when it came to the draft, there wasn't many teams who actually needed a player at that position early on. So this was really, I think, of a best-case scenario for Easton, for the Colts. They have Rivers, they still have Brissett, and they have Easton who can learn behind both of them. And who knows, maybe Easton will be that guy for the Colts and be their future signal caller. Now, another team I was impressed with was the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you probably could tell I was going to mention them the way I talked about them getting Patrick Queen in the first round at number 28. They come in the second round and get J.K. Dobbins, running back at Ohio State, a guy who rushed for over 2,000 yards in Columbus. They go and get Justin Matabuike, defensive tackle out of, defense, uh, out of Texas A&M in the third round. 
followed by Devin Duvernay, receiver who ran a 4-3-9-40, and they take him in the third round, put him with Holiday Brown. You have Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram. The the Ravens, like I said, the richer just gets richer. Uh, you know, Duvernay is a guy who just makes plays. They say he's built like a running back, but he's a he's truly a receiver. And so, like I said, Baltimore here they go again, a team that my Steelers have to play twice a year, and comes down to the you know AFC North division every single year, pretty much between these two teams. And you know, the Ravens is as as much as I hate to say it, you know, like I give credit when it's due, and the Ravens did it again with. You know, coming away with one of the more impressive drafts in the NFL. Now, another team who I felt away, I felt came away with, you know, some solid picks, a solid draft, kind of the cream of the crop in this year's 2020 NFL draft was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they went and got Tristan Wurst at tackle out of uh, out of Ohio, out of Iowa, I should say. Uh, he's a very athletic tackle. He's a guy that, you know, he moves well. I mean, we've seen the videos of him jumping out of the pool, landing, you know, land, you know, perfectly landing on his feet out of the pool. Uh, this is a 300-pound guy. Uh, you know, I've watched He's very talented. I think he's one of the better tackles in the draft, is indicating of, you know, which is indication of him going 13th uh, to the Buccaneers to help out Tom Brady in that run game that they have and passing game. Um, and then, you know, they also drafted Anton Winfield Jr., a safety out of Minnesota. I watched a lot of film with him going into that Outback Bowl against Auburn. Uh, this is a guy who had seven interceptions last year at the safety position. Uh, he's a he's a former – he's a son of a former all-pro corner in, in, in Anton Winfield who played at Ohio State, played with the Vikings, played the Bills. He had seven picks last year. Auburn had nine total, you know. So uh, this is a guy as a ball hawk at safety. They drafted Jamel Dean and, you know, Carlton Davis, uh, MJ Walker. You know, they drafted several players in a secondary the Buccaneers have to help that secondary. So I think this is another home run slam dunk pick for them getting Antoine Winfield Jr. Now, another player that they took later in that draft was Keyshawn Vaughn, a running back at our Vanderbilt. I believe it took him in the third round. It was a just a smart pick in the third round and getting a guy who's been who's been productive in Nashville for the Commodores uh just a smart pick to go with Peyton Barber and you know Ronald Jones the third that they have down there in Tampa Bay I think he'll be a solid player given the chance to to prove and 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 show that he's capable down there in Tampa Bay uh another player I like that they like was uh that they drafted was Tyler Johnson a receiver out of Minnesota so they had Anton Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota they went back to the Golden Gophers to get Tyler Johnson he is a receiver who has 74 catches over 1,100 yards. Uh, going back to that Outback Bowl against Auburn, like he put on the show, he had over 200 yards receiving, two touchdowns. I mean, you know, me personally, I was hoping my Steelers would somehow get him maybe in the fourth because he went all the way to the fifth round. And so, the, you know, there's a lot of talent, especially the receiver position because it's so much depth with having four or five receivers playing at a time and all these spread offenses, you get a chance to evaluate talent and these guys get a chance to make plays when, like I said, you have four or five playing at a time. So, uh, you know, you look at the middle rounds, guys like, you know, 
Uh, Debo Samuel went second round to the Niners. I mean, Stephon Diggs went fifth round uh, to the Vikings. Antonio Brown, sixth round to the Steelers. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, third round to the Steelers. I mean, you look at Julian Edelman. He he was a former quarterback. He went seven round to the to the Patriots, and we all know uh, the success he's had. So, I mean, when you look at their receiver position, Tyler Lockett to the Seahawks, you know, I mean, you have guys who are productive – and they just happen to fall because it's so many good receivers in the draft. So you can get a steal like Tyler Johnson in the fifth round, as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done. So uh, to pair him with Godwin and with Mike Evans and Gronkowski and O.J. Howard, the Buccaneers are going to make some serious noise um, in that division, in that NFC South division with, you know, you have the, the Saints and the Panthers and and, you know, the Falcons as well, who have, you know, improved tremendously this offseason. I think that's going to be a very fun division. As we know, this it gets intense with those rivalries. So the Buccaneers could not only be the, one of the best teams in the NFC South, but they just may end up being the best team in the NFC. We'll see when the NFL season rolls around this fall. Now, this final team that's on my list that impressed me in the draft, I didn't, I didn't, after day one, I didn't have them as being impressed. Uh, just because the moves they made, I felt like there were other things that they needed to do. But they, they bounced back strong when the draft was, was over and, you know, said and done. It's the San Francisco 49ers. So in that first round, they took, uh, they had the number 13 pick, like I said, they acquired for Buckner. They moved down one spot, picked up an extra fourth round uh, from Tampa Bay when Tampa Bay took worse. So at 14, 49ers took Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Number 31 pick that they had, I was okay. We, and, you know, my guy Rex Ruiz was here on the show, and he, you know, felt like maybe they would take that 31 pick, move back, get extra picks in the middle rounds, which I thought was perfect and made, you know, great sense as well. But they didn't do that. They took that 31 pick and moved up six slots to 25 to take receiver Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. And Ayuk can play. Like, I, I love watching him play the last couple years in Arizona State. You know, I've watched quite a few games there with Herm Edwards being the head coach. Um, although I like both of those first round picks for Ken Law and Ayuk. They didn't have anything in the middle. They didn't have any picks in the middle. So when the Niners took Ayuk at 25, their next selection didn't come till 156. So we're talking 131 players being selected before you get a chance to pick again. So I thought that the Niners would take that number 31 pick, move back, get a second, a couple extra thirds, a fourth or something. But instead they moved up. And I was like, okay, what are the Niners doing? I like what they, the players they got. But like I said, you feel the draft. You feel your team through the draft. I mean, the Niners are proving that with getting George Kittle in the tight end uh, as a tight end in fifth round. Uh, like I mentioned, Debo Samuel second round, Jalen Hurd in the third. Um, their starters, Dre, Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round, Fred Warner went in the third round. I mean, this is a team who's not only nailed the middle rounds of the draft, they've done it in the first round as well with, you know, guys like Armstead and Buckner and Bosa and Solomon Thomas. Like, they knocked it out in the draft every single year uh, the Niners have, especially in those those value picks that come in the middle round, second, third, fourth, fifth rounders. Um, so the fact that they moved up and took Ayuk and didn't trade back had me worried for the 49er fan base. But you know what? No, no need to fear, like no need to doubt them ever again. I mean, with John Lynch as a general manager, 
the amazing job he does in the front office, along with Kyle Shanahan. I mean, they just have an amazing team in tandem down there in San Francisco because that 156 pick that they had, like I said, it was Ayuka 25. They didn't draft again until 156. They took that 156 pick along with a third rounder in next year's draft and acquired seven-time All-Pro, seven-time All-Pro, and I'm sorry, let me get it right, seven-time Pro Bowler and All-Pro in 2015, Trent Williams, offensive tackle from the Redskins. I mean, they had Joe Staley retired. They needed somebody to replace him. What better than getting a seven-time Pro Bowler and an All-Pro and Trent Williams to help you on the offensive line? And so when they did that, that to me – Put, had to put San Francisco in the in the list of teams who impressed the most because, like I said, you get a guy like that, even though he's in his final year of his contract, we all know the Niners were a few minutes away from being Super Bowl champions. They don't really have many holes. So to go with Ayuk, to go with uh, Javon Kinlaw, they also drafted Juwan Jennings, receiver out of Tennessee in the seventh round. I like him a lot. But the fact when they acquired Trent Williams – to help on that offensive line just sealed the deal for me. So there's no way I could leave the Niners off of the most impressive teams. And like I said, they've been one of the more impressive teams in recent years when, you know, since Lynch and Shanahan has been there. So, uh, you know, that was, that was that's my list of teams who I felt like were the cream of the crop in the 2020 NFL draft. The Indianapolis Colts, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, San Francisco 49ers, and the Denver Broncos. So, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Not saying there's other teams who didn't have solid drafts, but those are the ones who who stood out as I watched the draft and studied these picks and went back and saw where these players went when it comes to talent and, you know, those team needs. So, uh, you know, we're just getting started with some of the debate talk with the players and franchises, what they missed on, who nailed it. Uh, and so we know there's not much going on in sports world right now. So I'm sure there will be plenty more draft talk in the months to come. Now, when we come back, we're going to close with today's Triple C segment, Corey's Closing Comments. You're listening to the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game. Hey, this is Jarvis Hayes from a Slocum Red Top and Troy Trojan. You are listening to The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley on Enjoy FM Sports. So with today's Triple C segment, Corey's closing comments, this is what I want to share with you today. It comes from Psalms 23, 6 in the King James Version, and it reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, this is a verse that I... You know, meditate on every single morning when I wake up and, you know, conversing with God and just praying and thanking Him for another day. You know, always, always, this verse always comes to mind and I always meditate on this verse that reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, I'm just praying and just thanking God that His goodness, His mercy, regardless of what's going on in your life, the things 
that we may have done. Like he's still merciful. He still wants to love on us and he's still going to be good to us. And just, you know, once you understand and build that relationship with God and come to that, just like I said, understanding of who God is and that he loves you and he wants the best for you, you get a chance to dwell with him every single day of your life. And so if this is a scripture that speaks to you, meditate on it, meditate on it day and night. Know that God's good. Whatever he does is for you and he loves you. And there's nothing that you can't do to escape his goodness and his mercy. And as we always say, there's nothing better than being in the sweet spot. Stay in the sweet spot for the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.